0: The text of the sermon this morning is Revelations 20, which we have already read. The sermon which I am reading has been prepared by Reverend Stephen Sweats of the URC. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what we are looking at today are some of the most debated passages of scriptures. Nearly all evangelicals are premillennialists, which means they attempt to seek revelation literally. That might sound good, for surely we are big believers in the literal translation of Scripture. But revelation is an apocalyptic is apocalyptic apople- is apocalyptic literature, which means in part there are symbols which stand for realities far greater than the symbols themselves. And add to this fact, the fact that John is seeing this revelation in this... And add to the fact that what John is seeing in this revelation comes in the form of a vision similar to a dream. John is not actually seeing any of this take place. It is a vision, but what a vision it is. Book after book have been written to explain what takes place in this closing book of the Bible. There are essentially three main views of the millennium, the thousand years that we are touching on and off, that we touch on and off during our study of Revelations. Premillennialism teaches that the millennium will occur after the second coming of Christ. Postmillennialism has held that the millennium occurs toward the end of the church age and that Christ's climatic coming will come at the close of the millennium. Amillennialists believe that the millennium started at Christ's resurrection and will be concluded at his final coming. Dr. Gregory Beale, a professor of New Testament theology at the Reformed Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas, more accurately called it integrated millennialism. Post-millennialism and amillennialism have approached the passage more consistently according to a symbolic interpretation. For premillennialists, they view the whole scriptures through this paradigm, making a complete separation between Israel and the church today. There are one people of God and one way of salvation. If you listen to Christian radio, the most common interpretation you will hear is the premillennial position. It might sound interesting in books and look neat on movies, but we cannot hold to it for it is not in accord with scriptures. This morning we turn our attention to Revelations 20 and within this chapter we will receive a glimpse of the history since Christ has come all in one swoop. It has taken It is taken from a bit of a different angle than chapter 19 and what came earlier. So, to put it one way, we are going back to the very beginning in chapter 20. Our theme is, the Lamb of God reveals all of millennial history in one chapter. There are three points. First, we will look at the binding of Satan, which is verses 1 and 3. Then the reign of the saints, which is verses 4 to 10. And thirdly, the final judgment, verses 11 to 15. The binding of Satan. In verse 1, we are reminded that John is seeing this. What does John see? He sees an angel coming down from heaven with some very interesting things in his hands. He has a a key and a chain. The key is for the bottomless pit. And the great chain is to bind the dragon. In verse 2, we see the angel grab hold. of dragon. grab hold of the dragon who is the devil proper and he is bound he is chained up he is thrown into the bottomless pit and is able to deceive the nations no more and what does this mean when is or was satan bound in the old testament satan was permitted by god to roam freely think of job when god asked satan where he was and satan says i was roaming about on the earth in the Old Testament, all the nations of the world were deceived except for one. That one nation, there was one nation that God would offer special protection to. There was one nation which God, with which God would establish his covenant. That nation was Israel, God's chosen people. God protected his people from power, the power and reign of the devil, but God did not protect the other nations. God was not protecting Egypt or Assyria or Philistia. But something changed, and that change happens in the verses 1 and 2 of our text. What caused Satan to be bound? The obvious, obvious answer is the re- resurrection of Christ is what bound Satan. However, already before that, Satan was slowly being bound by the Lamb of God. Think of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Christ did not bow the knee to the devil And each time one of these pivotal events occurred, they were small victories in the plan of redemption. Ultimately, Christ defeated Satan in his death and resurrection. And after Christ's resurrection, everything changed. The death and resurrection were certainly the climatic points in world history. What happened to the people of God and the gospel after the resurrection? The gospel went out. Prior to that, The Gospel stayed in. It was primarily the Israelites who were being saved. But a quick reading of the book of Acts, you can see the Gospel making great inroads in all the nations. It can do so because Satan, the great deceiver of the nations, is bound. Though we might say that the trajectory of morality in this world is getting worse and worse, we must praise God for the spread of the Gospel. The nations have received the Gospel. Many of the European nations have patron saints which converted the peoples there. Think of someone like St. Patrick and his missionary work in Ireland. He turned the barbaric tribesmen into followers of Jesus Christ. It was through the spread of the gospel in the Middle Ages that prompted the learning and education and eventuality, eventually the translation of the scriptures. Gospel has a permeating effect in the world. Today, the Word of God has been brought to all the countries of the world. Scriptures have been translated into well over a thousand languages. This would not have happened if Satan had not been bound by the work of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. But notice, also at the end of verse 3, but after these things he must be released for a little while. This is referring to the short period of time at the end of the millennium and prior to Christ's return, there is nothing more presently said about this. We must remember, however, that although Satan is bound, he is still allowed to deceive and to corrupt. He just cannot blind the nations, as bringing, as to bring together Gog and Magog, which we see, which we will see in a moment. Satan is bound for the sake of ushering forth the gospel but he will be heard from again point 2 the reign of the saints verses 4 and following describes for us the wonderful comfort of losing our loved one who belong loved ones who belong to the lord whether they are children or parents husbands wives siblings or friends it is often asked what are they doing now they, that is, their souls, are reigning. They are reigning because they are with Christ, and with with and in Christ they are victorious. Verse 4 is a bit tricky, a bit of a tricky verse to translate. It is very easy to get bogged down on the differing views of it. But let us understand simply that this is speaking of the martyrs who are in heaven, who are faithful to God and became martyrs because of it. They did not bow down to the beast. They did not receive the mark of the beast. They stood firm. When asked with a gun to their head, are you a Christian, they said yes. Bang, they're dead. Slice, off goes their head. It may sound flippant to you, but this has been the reality for thousands and thousands of saints in history. In verse 5, we read something of the first resurrection, and then in verse 6, we read of a second death. How many resurrections are there, and how many deaths? There are two of each. But only one of each is what we should consider physical. The first resurrection is where our souls are lifted up to heaven. The second resurrection occurs when Christ returns, and our bodies are raised up out of the earth, and they are united with our souls. The first death occurs when we breathe our last in this life. All people experience the first death, unless they happen to be living and Christ returns. The second death is the final judgment for the wicked, when they will be cast into everlasting hellfire. We will see that shortly. It is quite easy to get caught up in the details of Revelation, and it might have been it might have a proper place from time to time, but it is important for us to remember the larger picture here. Those who fall asleep in Jesus, as one Thessalonians puts it, Christians who die are victorious, and they are reigning with Christ right now. They are in glory as kings and priests of our God. We sing that these saints in glory are holding palms of victory, not of defeat, but of victory. The church in heaven is called the church triumphant because they have made it. They, in Christ, have won the victory, And those who have gone before us as martyrs will receive the crown that awaits martyrs. Where is this reign of Christ? It is in heaven. Three reasons we know this. The first verse 4 mentions the thrones, which are always in heaven. For example, in Revelations 1 verse 4, 3 verse 21... 12 verse 5 etc second this is the place of the souls and third this is where christ is now reigning as he sits at the right hand of god the father almighty christ reigned with his saints for a thousand years is in heaven now in verse 7 we come back to the release of satan at the end of the millennium this release of satan comes after christ's return comes before christ's return not after Our text in verse eight and following uses language taken from Ezekiel 38 and 39 in referring to Gog and Magog. This is a reference to the unbelieving nations which are enemies of the kingdom of God. They represent the kingdom of the world. They are doomed. Their doom is foretold in Ezekiel 38. There is much speculation of Gog and Magog and of them representing the unbelieving powers of the world, forming a world government, etc. What we can be sure about is that in those days the church will be severely attacked. We have already seen this in the harlot of Babylon. So too with Gog and Magog. The enemies, whose number is great in verse 8, will be punished. Fire will come down from heaven and devour them, the satanic rebellion will be crushed. And then judgment can take place. The final judgment. In verse 10, we see the crushing of Satan, who is cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where he can join his comrades, the beast and the false prophet. Their punishment, torment, day and night forever. Immediately after Christ returns, he is the one sitting on the great white throne of verse 11. Christ is the judge in all of his glory. The judgment begins to take place in verse 12. We read verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. There are two books that are opened. One I would call the book of works and actions. This is the book containing all the evil that was done. In chapter 18, this was referred to as the consciences. It is Here is the irony of the wicked and the cruel and manipulative in this world. Those who think they can do sin and get away with it. Those who think, well, it's okay as long as nobody finds out about it sorely mistaken. It is written in the book. The judgment, this judgment, however, is not a negative, negative judgment. It is a universal judgment. Both the wicked and the righteous are included. There is no differentiation of people, small, big, those who are drowned and taken by the sea. Also notice the use of the two books, and each in verse 13, judged according to their works. Premillennialists do not have a good explanation for this. In their opinion, the righteous have been judged a thousand years beforehand, and just the wicked are left for the final judgment. However, in verse 12, we see the book of life. It's further substantiated in other parts of Scripture, for example, Matthew 25, verse 32 and 46. before him Matthew 25 verse 32 before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separate shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and then verse 42 in the same chapter for I was hungry and you gave me food you gave me no food I was thirsty and you gave me no drink I was a stranger you did not welcome me This judgment, however, pardon me, uh, notice in the last phase, phrase, notice the last phrase in verse 13. There is certainly a whole sermon contained in the phrase, and they were judged each, each according to his works. That can be one of the most fearful statements in scripture. It depends on the side, where on the side of judgment you stand. It would, If it would have been our works that must pass the scrutiny of God, we would all be in a world of trouble. It comes down to faith. It is faith in Jesus Christ that puts our name in the book of life. So, what do our work so do our works not matter? Oh no, they do matter, but our works do not put our name in the book of life. We will be rewarded in one way or another for our works. Our works will testify to the fact that our name either is or is not in the book of life. But what you must realize that it that when the term judgment comes up, Your only defense and explanation is Christ. Have you ever seen a child or a teenager caught in a lie and trying to lie their way out of it? You just want to say, stop, just admit it, and we can deal with it from there. The more they explain, the worse it gets. We must say, stop, no need for an explanation, just plead Christ. What gives us a right to stand on that side? It is Christ congregation if it's going to be Christ that we will be pleading on the judgment day that we had better make sure he is not just a lord then but even now no man can have two masters and ours must be our lord Jesus Christ for those not found in the book of life their end is destruction the verse 14 in verse 14 death and hades are personified the place of the dead they are cast into the lake of fire anyone not found in the book of life is thrown into lake of fire. This is the second and final death. This will be their eternal destiny in the lake of fire, a pictured word of hell. The outcome of the righteous are covered in the next two chapters of Revelation. So, there it is. Centuries of world history in one chapter of scripture. From the life of Christ to his return and final judgment. Those Of us who do not turn their face to Christ and receive the Son will receive from God his eternal anger and wrath. Those of us who through faith embrace Christ and all his benefits will receive righteousness and life. By God's grace, we can be assured of our salvation in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Amen. In response, let us... Stand if we're able and sing Psalm 90, verse 1, 2, and 8.